Is your business stuck? Tired of leaving money on the table? Are you ready to take it to the next level? Join us as we dive deep into the small business secrets successful entrepreneurs are implementing to see massive results. This is the Business Growth Hacks Podcast, presented by Beefy Marketing. Here's your host, Andrew Brockenbush. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode. Thank you guys for tuning in. It is a beautiful Friday when we're recording this episode. The weather is about as good as it gets down in Texas. It's like 50 degrees outside, which for us, that's kind of cold. 50, 60, you know, I'll take it. I'll (laughs) I'll take take it. it all. Today's episode is brought to you by Wingman. Wingman's all-in-one marketing and sales automation mm-hmm. software it helps you grow your business, streamline your communication, automate your processes. It is game changer. Check them out yeah. at trustyourwingman.com. John, what's up, my friend? How you doing, man? I'm excellent, man. I'm I'm excited about today's conversation because it's a little different than one we've had recently. So yep, you're right. I'm and, excited and to get into it. The reality is, we've not recorded a podcast in probably at least a month. No, we haven't. I mean, we've been doing something that we haven't yes. released yet for people. Yes. It's going to be but, super uh, cool. Little, little I can't wait to get action. that nugget out there. Yeah, but. that's that's been a lot of fun. So uh, this is going to be a great episode. Um, we've got an amazing guest for you guys mm-hmm. planned here. So I wanted to start off by doing it like we always do it with an icebreaker. Let's do it. Let's kick it. Ice, icebreaker. Okay, the icebreaker today is what is the last book you read what is the most recent book you read michael i'll let you kick this off for us hmm my gosh uh i read about eight or ten books at a time you know just they're scattered all over the house so i've got <laughs> a few things so? of this yeah. but there's a there's a guy named lewis schiff and he wrote a book called business brilliant and uh, so i've just been digging into him lately i'd say that's that's the the most recent book that's kind of relevant to this audience all right. I'll have to check that one out. John, you, man, what have you been reading? Well, if we're going with the most recent, it's kind of like him. My answer may not be that fruitful for this audience, but Chicken <laughs> Little is the book that I read last, but that was to my six-year-old last night. Um, nice. <laughs> the book that I read that I wanted to read, and it's not really a business book, but it is about the mindset. It's called Handed a Greater Purpose, and it's by a guy that we interviewed named Jason Coger. And basically, he was in an accident and ended up becoming the first bilateral amputee to receive bionic arms. And he's still an avid turkey hunter. And so that's why the book Handed a Greater Purpose is kind of a play on words because he doesn't actually have hands. You know, he has bionic hands now. And he's just an awesome guy. And it's a real inspiring story. And it's probably worth a read. Heck yeah. That that is a real good one. I've been reading one called The Anti-Hustler's Handbook hmm. by, a guy, by a guy named Alex Schlinsky. Alex huh. Schlinsky is one of my business coaches, uh, super great guy. And um, it's a cool book because I'm all, people always ask me, like, what you been up to lately? And I'm like, oh, just hustling. And the <laughs> fact that his book is called The Anti-Hustler's Hook, yeah. you know, Handbook, I thought was pretty, pretty cool. So those are the books I've been, I've been reading personally. That's awesome. Hey guys, real quick, nobody else is getting a buzz, right? I just want to make sure that... No. Okay, good. I think I've got like technical problems, but it's all good. I think we need to replace the cable in your headphones. I think so. (laughs) All good. Well, today's guest is a New York Times bestselling author, Michael Levin. He has written, ghostwritten, published, edited, or consulted on more than 1,000 books in the past 35 years. His work has been published by many top publishers and appeared in the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, ESPN, and many other outlets. And today we're talking to Michael about thought leadership and creating the thought leader 
Michael, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you very much. Andrew and John, pleasure to be with you both. Yeah, Absolutely. man. This is, this is going to be fun because I, I mentioned before we started recording today that I've actually been working on a book with a ghostwriter for, and I feel like it's been a couple years now, um, <laughs> mainly because I'm a slacker. Um, and <laughs> so uh, I'm excited about this conversation. But before we get into how you help turn business leaders into thought leaders, I wanted to learn a little bit more about how you got here. Can you mm -hmm. share a little bit about your journey from being a lawyer to being a writer and an entrepreneur? Sure. I was a lawyer for about an hour. Uh, they caught me. Threw me out. <laughs> I love that. I was all it's but true fired. Story. True story. All but fired from one firm and fired by the second and then unemployable because, uh, you know, I might have presented well, but once they made a phone call or two, it's like, we don't want him. <laughs> yeah. <Wrong guy. laughs> it's just, it's just not, it, it wasn't where I wanted to be. And right. uh, I, I went from there. I, I sold three novels to Simon and Schuster in my, in my twenties and uh, couldn't sell a fourth. So I was launched and broke at the same time. And I was teaching writing classes at UCLA and NYU. And uh, I, I met a man who's been my mentor, who was my mentor for almost 30 years. And he showed me how to start a business, which was offering private writing classes. And then I did that and I filled up, you know, rounds of classes. And then people started saying, consult with me. And then they just said, just write it for me. So I backed into ghostwriting, and that's more than 35 years and 1,000 books ago. So that's the short of it. That's amazing. So let me ask you this, yeah. because I, I at least have to know, <clears throat> after all of the money spent and after all of the time and schooling that you went through to become a lawyer, were you, were you frustrated? <laughs> were you frustrated when it didn't work out, or was it a relief? Like, how did you feel? I felt like a failure. I mean, you know, you, you, yeah. you know law school's three years, and, um, you know, I'm going to be frank. When I when I uh, seven years out, um, uh, I, seven years out of, uh, of, of law school, my classmates. I went to Columbia Law School. I went to a really good school. Wow! Yeah, my mm -hmm. classmates are my classmates are you know making partner at top firms, and I was literally yeah. on eating assistance in Massachusetts because they don't let the poor freeze there, and my income was you know below thirteen thousand a year, which is the poverty level at the time. So I got a check from the, the, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts to pay my heating bill. So that's where I was. And I, I, I like to say that I overcame every advantage on my way to the bottom. And then, you know, <laughs> and then since then, um, I was able to uh, sort of, you know, leverage the fact that I'd done those three novels with Simon and & Schuster and been teaching. And, uh, you know, one thing led to another, uh, one relationship to another, and then, you know, ghostwriting business is like any other in the sense that you have to learn how to how to sell, how to manage, how to um, how to market, how to do customer mm -hmm. service. And I went to Disney Institute and Sandler and, uh, 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 you know, all the all the places you go to learn how to to run a business when you you know, when you're the, the when you think you're the talent instead of the suit. Um, yeah, I was on Shark Tank. Uh, I sold my first business, ghostwriting business. And, you know, and, and here I am running the second one. So. It kind of all worked out, but you know, was it? It was beyond frustrating. It's sort of like, what happened to me? Like, yeah, a full derail, right? Yeah, like, right. Like, what? It was a full derail. There's no way to. You cannot put lipstick on that particular pig. No, <laughs> no. no. So, I, I, your first two novels in your 20s. I mean, were you always a writer? Like leading up to that, because I don't. I think that sure you were a, a student. So I'm sure a lot of that mm -hmm. kind of came from that. But beyond that, I mean, to be to write novels, I mean, that requires a lot of creativity, I'd imagine. Yeah, I mean, it's just something that uh, that I love. And I was I, I knew from childhood that this is all I ever wanted to do is write books. 
And then mm-hmm. when I got to college and I found there was a thing called, you know, writing teacher, I wanted to teach writing. And that's what I've done my whole life, my whole career with that, you know, uh, minor, minor detour to law school. Yeah. <laughs> you know, minor detour. Legal career. So, yeah, I mean, it's all, I mean, I sold, I, I, I did two opinion pieces for the New York times before law school and, uh, worked at CBS news for a little while. And, um, uh, one of the, one of the opinion pieces was, you know, I get, I get an envelope with a you know, a check falls out of it one day. Uh, they had taken one of the uh, opinion pieces that I, I did and they put it in an anthology of great writing. And I'm oh. sitting there going, wow, maybe I'm okay at this, you know? Yeah. So you just sort of get some external validation and then, and then selling the novels was pretty cool. And, uh, you know, you just run with it. And I've, I've been fortunate enough to, to just not to quit. You know, people have dreams. They yeah. don't always pursue them or they'll pursue them for a while. And, um, you know, I'm too dumb to quit. And I have no other marketable <laughs> skills. So, you know. This is <laughs> I love that. I love that because I'm a musician. So I've had a band and, you know, poor trying to make it happen and, you know, just doing whatever you can. So I, I relate to that side of your story there. And you're right. The number one thing I find from people who are successful in the creative space, it is that tenacity. They simply don't stop until they see what they were looking for. And I think you have to have the love for it to do things like that, because without that love, you're going to quit. Because you got to, yeah. <laughs> what was it my dad used to say about people who own Jaguars? You got more money than sense. You got to have more care than sense <laughs> yeah. to, to be successful as an entrepreneur. Well, it's, it's true in business. I, I mentioned business brilliant a moment ago. And one of the things he says, he basically compares the thinking patterns of highly successful people to regular folk. And one of the things he says is that uh, highly successful people, successful people, have probably failed at one or two or three major things in their in their careers and just sort of hated it, dusted themselves off, got back and kept going. Whereas mm-hmm. most people hit a rock and that's it. And then they say, I'm just yeah, going to get a job. I just can't take this. So Well, uh, yeah, they'll do what you did when you realized that lawyering was not for you, but they'll do that with the thing they're made for and they'll just yeah. step out of it. Yeah. Now, I remember one time I was uh, when I was still working as a lawyer, um, I was sending off a, a new draft of a manuscript to my literary agent. And I just remembered, you know, standing in the post office at, you know, eight in the morning before I went into work and feeling mm-hmm. more alive in that one moment in the post office mailing off a manuscript yeah. than I knew I would the rest of the day in the office. So, you know, um, Zig Ziglar was one of the great mentors and I got to work with him and edit his last book. He used to say that, uh, you know, here lies John Jones, uh, born 1970, died 2012, uh, buried 2047. So, you know, uh, we, we can be dead men and dead women walking, or we can just pursue the dreams and be who we were meant to be. And uh, I, I, I'm fortunate enough that I just, you know, I had no other choice but to go forward. So, yeah. I've got to ask, I mean, what did, what did your family think about all this? I mean, obviously, again, you're pursuing a pretty noble yeah. career and, you know, um, and then to, to have that pivot and to realize that it wasn't for you. And, you know, it's one of those things I feel like when we're young, we don't really know necessarily exactly what we want. We're yeah. just kind of doing what we think people want from us. And we're doing the thing that maybe we feel like yeah. will pay us, pay us the biggest salary or whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. But clearly your passion didn't lie there. What did your family think? Well, let's put it this way. My dad was a lawyer. My grandfather was a lawyer and a judge. 
My great, <laughs> aunt, my great aunt graduated summa from NYU Law School in the 30s. Uh, so let's just say that so they you were should be in the Supreme Court already right now. Yeah, I'm, 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 <laughs> So, you know, you can imagine it just didn't go over well. But I'll tell you what made the yeah. difference. Um, there was a particular author. Uh, I'm blanking on his name right now, but he had um, he uh, he would have a new novel of his reviewed every Thanksgiving day in The New York Times every year for decades. And Simon and Schuster mentioned I, I did a novel about law school that Simon Schuster published. And sure enough, there was a stellar review of that novel with my photo in it on Thanksgiving day, um, you know, like a year after I was out of the last law firm and my parents, friends all started calling in the New York times and all my parents, friends all started calling and saying, look, look at this, look at that. And, you know, and, and from that moment on, they're sort of like, well, don't come to us for okay. money, but it looks like you got something. <laughs> okay. You did this. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, you didn't take that to Thanksgiving dinner and just slap it on the table there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I told you mom and dad, not, this is my passion. <laughs> I'm not sure I was invited that year. <laughs> ah. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. Well, this, this is so fascinating to me. I, again, I've, I've got a, a close friend, a mentor. Her name's Carol. She's a ghostwriter who I've known for quite mm -hmm. a while, a long time. And I'm so intrigued by people like yourself and people like Carol, because it not only requires the ability to be a business owner, an entrepreneur, like you had mentioned, like yeah. all the things that it takes to run a business, but then also like you really have to stretch that creative muscle in a very yeah. unique way because you have to communicate what all of these individuals that you work with want to say in their books, which could be mm -hmm. different voice, different tones. I'd imagine some are fiction, some are nonfiction. How how has it yeah. been to kind of like hone that skill? What was that like when you first started ghostwriting? Well, it's fun. I mean, it's really exciting because I call it the greatest grad school in the history of the planet because the people who are best at what they do are teaching me how they think. And mm -hmm. watching smart people think, it's like going to a game and watching great athletes play ball or, or, or watching great musicians perform. You know, just yeah. you have a front row seat at a brilliant thinker. And so that's that's pretty special. Um, on my website, I have a page with excerpts from nine different books, and the authors are black, white, Asian, male, female, young, old, and just to sort of demonstrate the range. And mm -hmm. that's kind of the, the art and the fun of it is it's almost a sense of mimicry. It's sort of like getting into their heads, getting into their thinking patterns. And then it's a bit like acting because when, when I'm, I'm doing a chapter, I'm being the client and I'm trying to, yeah. you know, trying to express myself. Uh, I met Amy Tan once uh, who wrote um, uh, Joy Luck Club and a lot of other novels. And she said that when she's going to write a, a, about a particular character, she just looks at her shoes and becomes that character. So, and then she writes from being that character instead of writing about that character. And that's, that's kind of it. Uh, but I will say that, you know, the starting point is not, um, is not writing. It's, it's, it's planning the book and, hmm. uh, you know, yesterday I was on with a prospect who hails from your state and uh, from Austin, and he was telling me nice. about the book that he had in mind. And we're on the call, and uh, and I had this sense that the the book he had in mind was totally, totally wrong for the audience mm -hmm. he was writing for, and for the right. uh, and for the outcome he was seeking. So, and the only way you find that out is when they tell you, this is what the project is. Now the average ghostwriter is going to say, let's go, or I can do that. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sitting there saying, it's my job not to let you drive this over the cliff, even in our first conversation. 
So I want to understand who's your audience, where are they now, where do you want to take them, what body of knowledge in your head is going to take them where you want them to go. And there was a total, total mismatch in my mind between what he was thinking he wanted to do and what he wanted to accomplish. It just wouldn't work. And so, you know, uh, I said I said to him the same way I'm speaking to the two of you, just courteously and politely, it's not going to work, and here's why. And I laid out for him as best I could uh, what I thought would be a much more successful approach. And he's a CEO of a very, very successful company. Um, most people don't tell him on a sales call, this isn't going to work. And, uh, you know, he sort of, sort of rubbed his chin and we talked about it for about five, 10 minutes. And then he asked me the question, which indicates that, you know, people want to go forward, which is how much is it? <laughs> I said, I'll send you a proposal. Mm -hmm. but, the, uh, but the short of it is that uh, a, a good ghost will write the book that the client has in mind. A really good ghost will guide the client toward the book that the client will succeed most with, given the client's specific goals. And the good thing about having done or having been involved, I didn't write a thousand books, but I've been involved in one way or another with more than a thousand books, is that I know what people are saying in a lot of verticals in the business, in the business world, whether it's, you know, uh, uh, real estate or finance or uh, insurance or medicine or dentistry or entrepreneurship or consulting and so on. So I know what everybody else is saying because I've either read their books or I've written them. And that makes a big difference when you're talking to a prospect who has never bought ghostwriting before, who has never done a book before, and who just needs to know what's the right path. That was a really long answer, guys. I'm sorry. No, 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 that, no, no, that is a great answer. <laughs> so helpful because, I mean, I feel like that was a mistake that I had made when I first started writing the books. Um, and I kind of had to pivot a little bit because I think I was at Podcast Movement, which is a big podcast conference, and we were in a room with um, a guy that works for publishing.com or self-publishing.com. They do like a lot of self-publishing. They don't do any ghostwriting or they used to not do that. Um, but they were, one of their authors was in the room. They were talking and I was sitting next to some other people in the room, some that had written books before and others that had not. And the guy next to me was like, oh, what's your idea for a book? And I told him and he was like, well, who's your intended audience or your demographic for it? And I told him and he's like, hey, man, that, you know, I got to be blunt with you, but like that, that's a mismatch. And I was yeah. like, God, dang it. You were like, I was kind of offended, obviously. Mm -hmm. I was like, you don't know anything. And then like, as I was walking around the rest of the conference that weekend, I was like, you're he was absolutely right. You know, mm -hmm. um, you know, obviously I was trying to write a book that would serve my prospects and my clients. And the book was called, and, and I'm, and I am still working on it. It's just, I realized that it's not, it couldn't be my, my primary book, which is a book called uh, never start a business, which was really intended for entrepreneurs that or. I'd say aspirational entrepreneurs, people that want to get into business, but it's kind of like a, a guide to myths that people tell you about starting a business. So the, it's kind of cool because in the cover design, we've actually got never start a business and the word never is scratched out because the idea is like, I would love for you to start a business, but for the right reasons, not for the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. Right. But I realized like, how is that book going to get me clients for my marketing agency when those people are, haven't even started a business yet? Right. Like, I have to write a totally different book for the people that are already established business owners that need a message spoken to them. And so it really kind of, I, it pivoted my strategy. We came up with a totally different book idea. I'll obviously worked with my ghostwriter about it, but like, let me ask you this. What are questions that an aspirational author or a thought leader or a business owner that wants to be a thought leader? What kind of questions should they be asking 
that potential ghostwriter to make sure mm. that that ghostwriter is going to be that kind of person, a person like yourself who's going to challenge those ideas to make sure that they're headed in the right direction. Yeah. Well, well okay. Before you even start asking the ghostwriter questions, you want to look at the ghostwriter's background. And there are a lot of people out there. There, there are no licensing authorities for ghostwriters. Anybody can put up a shingle and say, I'm a ghost. And uh, you look at some websites and it says, I do white papers, I write websites, I do ghostwriting, I'll paint your house, you know, and it's just sort of snuck in there. And you just sort of say to yourself, why do I want a generalist? I mean, if something happens, you know, you talked about the gentleman, uh, you know, who, who, who lost both arms. That guy doesn't want, you know, the generalist downtown at the, uh, to, 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 to take care of his arms. He wants the best guy in the country, the best person in the country. So why would you want somebody who does 12 other things? And then there are also a lot of big companies that offer ghostwriting, publishing and distribution, and marketing. And I don't know about you, but I'm always happy if I can find somebody who can do one thing well. You know, finding people who can right. do three things well, Yeah. you know, good luck. It doesn't happen. And, you know, I mean, there's one such company called Scribe that just tanked a few months ago, and they left, I don't know how many, hundreds of clients who had uh, paid, you know, really good money to get their books written, edited, published, and marketed out in the cold. Mm -hmm. And they sent them letters wow. saying, well, we will finish it, but you're going to have to send us more money. Hey, thanks. And they charge so, a lot. They charge a lot, yeah. a lot. They charge a lot, a lot. I mean, I charge a lot, a lot, but at least you get results. Sure, but so, you get you it, know, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, so you, so you kind of want to find somebody in the Goldilocks zone, and I don't mean to sound self-serving, but you want somebody who has a, who has a real track record and who is willing to let you talk to past clients or who has blurbs from some of his or her ghostwriting clients on, on, on the website. And those are, you know, and those are impressive to you because you, you know, you, this is your livelihood. It's your money. I'll tell you the hardest people for me to satisfy. And I've kind of given up on them when I hear them that this is what they've been through. I just sort of try not to get involved. Uh, people who've been burned by a prior ghostwriter because then they don't trust mm. anybody. The yeah. thing is, there are a lot of people walking around who, who put down good money and got a bad book. And yeah. part of it's on the writer, but part of it's on them for not vetting. Um, exactly. I offer my clients a test drive approach to start off, meaning I'll do the book plan, which is title, subtitle, who's the audience, what's the goal of the book, chapter titles, and about a paragraph or two on each chapter. It's a document that runs three, four, five pages. It's an itinerary for the journey. It's a, uh, it's, it's a guide to the flow of information from you, the client, to the reader, from the, the author to the reader. And then we'll do two chapters. And then at that point, you'll make a go, no-go decision. And, and, and you'll decide, did, did I live up to my promises or not? Well, you know, a lot of ghosts don't offer anything like that. And they, I don't mean to, you know, to knock people in my field, but uh, they're, they're, they'll ask for a lot of money up front. And then if you don't like what you got, what are you going to do? Sue them? That money's gone. All they've got are there. Are you going to take their socks? What are you going to take? So, yeah. you know, so, so, so it's, it's, it's really on the client to vet the ghostwriter first and then find out, is there a way to do, you know, I heard, I heard this guy, Levin, talking about test drives. Mr. or Ms. Ghostwriter, yeah. would you do a test drive with me or do I have to give you, you know, 40% up front? So. I, really, I really like that you offer that in general because I feel like there's a lot of folks out there who – could possibly write their own books, but they just need that like plan for the book. And I feel like for some, some potential authors, that kind of paragraph for each with all the chapters and title could at least be the, like the starting point 
for them to work on it. And then you can kind of come back in and be that editor and truly help them through like, okay, did that story fully, you know, did it, did that chapter shape up to be what I expected that chapter to be? Or do we need to make some adjustments? Not just to like, you know, a lot of people in the world of editing or in the world of book writing think, oh, an editor is just like misspellings and things like that. But I've realized no. that over the years, that's not necessarily true. You guys are making sure that the chapter flows to the next chapter. And are, is it the best choice of words? Like all of that. It's more than just, again, spelling and commas and things like that. So mm -hmm. I really love that you offer that as a part of your product because I feel like, I mean, again, I've worked with ghostwriters before who I know that don't offer anything like that. It's more of like a, here's how much I charge for the book. Here's the 50% down payment we require. And then there'll be installments for the rest of the book until it's completed. Mm -hmm. So the fact that you offer that is, is really, really cool. So let's, let's kind of back up and talk about the fact that you turn business owners into thought leaders. I think that, I mean, obviously I know what a thought leader is, but for the people out there listening to the podcast, if they've never heard that term before, I've tried to convince people they should write a book and they're like, I don't know why I would do that in your own words, Michael. Cause I think that obviously 35 years of doing this, you can probably sell it better than I can. Why should business owners consider writing a book? Sure. It really comes down to what Dan Sullivan, a strategic coach talks about in regard to commoditization. The internet turns everyone and everything into commodities it doesn't matter how good an accountant or consultant or uh, whatever you are. It doesn't matter because the uh, Internet gives people far more choices than they ever had when all you could do was drive five miles to a brick and mortar building. And that was the extent of your uh, options. As a result, uh, uh, because everybody is commoditized, when you're a commodity, you are judged primarily or entirely on price. And that means that if you're going to compete, mm -hmm. You have to keep lowering your prices to beat the other person. And that's called the commodity trap. So the number one reason to do a book is not for your own glorification. And it's not for your ego or your vanity, although it's, it's fun. Uh, but it's to escape the commodity trap and be able to charge the premium pricing you deserve for all the years you've been doing this, for your experience. Otherwise, you're going to lose your business somebody who's only been doing it for two years and isn't that good at it, but has a much better Instagram feed than you could ever dream of having because they're all about the social media and you're all about getting the work done. So the, exactly. starting, the starting point is you've got to get out of the commodity trap. And it, look, everybody's websites today, they're all beautiful and they all look exactly the like. Alike. And if somebody, you know, they have, uh, I've seen this over and over, I mean, a million times, the stock photo. And I don't care if you're a consultant or a financial advisor, you may have this stock photo on your website. And if you do, yes, you should be cringing. It's the uh, it's it's like six attractively dressed people in their 30s uh, of mm -hmm. different ethnicities and genders shaking hands over a nice table. I mean, exactly. what the heck is, yeah. what does that even mean? <laughs> but it's on everybody's website. They're like, okay, yeah. I checked the website box. I've got a website. I'm got good. it. No. You, you, put, you, you put yourself further into the commodity box. Stop mm -hmm. it. So, you know, it's sort of like it's time to, to fly your freak flag and stand up for what you believe in and be yourself instead of mm -hmm. trying to be the hundredth. Can I tell you a story about a financial advisor? Yes, please. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm at a conference in Phoenix and this one financial advisor comes right over and says, look, I want to sign up right now. Let's go. Great. So I get out my agreement and no matter what clause I'm showing, this is the confidentiality clause. This means that I never reveal that I work for you or reveal any of your information. You know, this, and, and no matter what I said, he said, do you know that there's a $20 trillion federal deficit? I'm like, yeah. 
Well, okay. Now this clause over. <laughs> no, 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 no. Applied. <laughs> no matter what I said, you know, I could have told him, "Boy, the Cowboys look great this year." He said, "Yeah, but there's a deficit." It's all he talked about. So I got home. <laughs> he signed the contract. I got home, looked on his website. There's not a word about the deficit. And I and and I and I call him. I said. I couldn't find anything about the deficit on your website. He said, are you kidding? If I put on my website, everybody would think I'm crazy. And I said, you know, you are a little obsessive about it, but the thing is that you're not the only one. And once yeah. people get to know you, they you, this is all you can talk about. I didn't say it quite like that, but as yeah. a result, right. they're going to think you're nuts because they're not that concerned about it. But there is a substantial niche audience of people in this country who are incredibly concerned about the, what was then the $20 trillion, I don't know what it's 40 today, God knows. And these people are passionate about it, and this is what matters to them. And they're rich, and they could be your clients. And I'll tell you something else. They're, un, they're an underserved market, and they all know each other. They all belong to the same clubs. They all belong to the same organizations. And they're going to pass you around. They're going to say, finally, a guy who gets it. So we did a book for him that was 60% about the deficit and 40% about financial financial planning and financial services. And the guy cleaned up. He owns his niche. So your niche will make you rich, but you have to fly your freak flag. You have to be who you are, decommoditize yourself, stand up for what you believe in. Don't worry about alienating people who disagree with you. They were never your market. Stop trying to be all things to all people and instead be a hero to people in your niche. And that is yep. what a book can do for you, can define you that way. So that's the, the number one reason to get a book done. I love, I totally love that's that. I mean, great. Yeah, I mean, I think that I've never looked at it quite that way. It's still like aligns with the reason why I've done, like why I'm doing a book, but I've just never looked at it in that way. I mean, see, it's even me making me think about how I'll handle the next website projects I do or branding projects yep. I do. It's like, Hey, listen, you're a commodity. Like, do you want to be here? Do you, do you want to like, you know, fly your freak fat freak flag? You know, like if you want to do something different, then, then let's do something different. If not, like, mm -hmm. like I'm going to just sit, I'm going to, let's get you set up with a template website. Cause that's all you need. Yeah, like yeah. if you're going to be like everybody else, let's just go with what everybody else has, go you know? Yeah. So there's a great story. There was a, there, um, Michael Gambino was one of the members of the Gambino mafia family in New York. And he left the mafia and he, uh, he, he, he wrote a business book called I'll Make You an Offer You Can't Refuse or something like that. Awesome. It's business lessons from the mafia. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And he, you know, because one of the things the mafia does, it's a business organ. I mean, it's a crime organization. Yeah. It's also a business. Mm -hmm. You know, they, they, business, they have yeah. a lot of money and they, they invest it. Guys come up to them and say, hey, I want to borrow money. Like, that's a good idea. But guys will come <laughs> and say, I want to borrow money so, to start a business. And he'd say, well, what kind of business? He'd say, well, a car wash or a, uh, you know, a, a hair salon. And he'd say to them, well, what's it going to be like? And he said, well, it'll be like all the other ones. He said, I would never go give those guys money. His name is Michael Francese. Forgive me, F-R-A-N-Z-E-S-E, -E, Michael Francese. And he said, I would never give those people money because they were commodities. Instead, I wanted to hear a guy say, well, it's going to be like other dry cleaners or other car washes, but it's going to be different because those guys got the money. Now, whether they really should have taken money from the mafia is a story for another day. But the thing is that even the mafia knows that if you commoditize yourself, you're not going to have a successful business. So, yeah, that's yeah. that's that's cool. Wow, that's really cool. What, what what would you say are some key elements of a book, or when you craft a book, that will help 
leaders and business owners kind of hit that status level of thought, you know, of thought leader? Like sure. what are those elements that you need to be to be successful? Yeah, I'll give you a few. The first thing is don't start the book with all about you because right now the reader doesn't know who you are and doesn't care about you. And if you start about you, it's going to be boring. Instead, the first chapter has to be about the problems and pains the reader faces that you like mm -hmm. to take away, the pains you like to take away, the problems you like to solve, and that you get paid the most to solve. And your, your first chapter needs to focus on those four magic words, I feel your pain, Bill Clinton's phrase. That, and yeah. when you're able to do that, the reader says, wow, this person gets me. He or she yeah. really understands me the way nobody else does. Then they say, who is this person? Then chapter two is your story and how you got so smart. And then chapter three is your process. And chapters four through nine might be your step-by-step -step through your process. And then the final chapter is a call to action. And uh, so, so that, that's one thing, structure the book properly. The, the other thing to do is uh, to make sure that you have at least what I call 12 to 15 HFS moments. Now, an HFS moment is where the reader says, holy, and this is a family <laughs> beep, <podcast."> beep. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. You can say it. <laughs> you guys, you're, 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 you know, your viewers can fill in the blanks. You want the reader to say, holy. And if you can get them to do that 12 to 15 times over the course of the book, you will own them. So make yeah. sure that you are layering in all of your greatest hits. Don't save anything for book two. Throw it all into book one because I'll tell you what's going to happen. Somebody's going to read book one and say, wow, great book, but I don't understand why you didn't talk about X, Y, Z. And you go, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I left that out. There's your book two. So take all the HFS yeah. moments you can think of and cram them into that manuscript. Blow the reader's mind repeatedly and you'll own them. Yeah. I love that. It's so, I I'm have. glad we're, I'm really glad we're having this conversation because the one thing I've been slacking the most about with working with my uh, ghostwriter is that she has finished, she's finished everything. Like we're kind of like on the final drafts yeah. and I just need to read it like page to page and just like make any changes <laughs> or, you know, take the time, which I'm, I'm super swamped. So I just need to make that time, but I'm glad we had this conversation prior to me reading that because mm -hmm. now I can, like, I can look at it through that lens. Like, yeah. does the book start with me talking about me? Does the book start by, you know, um, having that alignment around like feeling their pain. And then, you know, the big thing is if I don't find those 10 to 15 HFS moments, then I'm going to have to make sure that they get they get cranked in there. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really glad we're having this conversation because I think that's really, really great advice. You have had crazy success with your books. I mean, huge, huge outlets that have covered you guys. Obviously, I know that you said you do one thing really well, but I'm sure you have at least a little bit of insight around like the marketing and the positioning and some of that stuff. How do you market the book once you're done writing it? Sure. I want to come back to that question in a moment. I, I do want to address the moment where you are with your manuscript because it's not yes. <laughs> Great. Okay. You thought you were going to get away with it, but, uh, uh <laughs> just keep going. Just keep going. <laughs> so, so Tear me up. I'm talking to you over a laptop, which has what I call the multi-million dollar hard drive. That's because I have a lot of books by clients that are completely finished and ready to go, ready to be published. And for a variety of reasons, I'll share with you in a moment. They just can't or won't do it. And they won't let the books go out into the public. And instead, they're fully paid for. Thank you. They're terrific. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and they're sitting on my hard drive. 
was about to start a word with F, but I, again, it's a family pot because it, it, it upsets me <laughs> so much. You put all this work into it. So the question becomes, what's going on? And so the moment where you have the entire draft in hand, ready to review, I call that the Bermuda Triangle of books because they go in, but they don't always come out and they end up on somebody's hard drive. You know, the mind, I used to call a million dollar hard drive, but that was back in the day. You know, we've crossed the multi-million dollar line, unfortunately. So the question is, why does that happen? One is that people are just busy and uh, entrepreneurs, we just love the next shiny object and we sort of are less interested in, <laughs> yeah. you know, we, we, we let, we're less interested in the one we were dating and then we want to be interested yeah. in the one we want to date next. So, you know, so that's just our mentality. So that needs, that, that's a hard thing to overcome. The second reason is that we're afraid. We're afraid that the critics will come out and, yep. and we'll get criticized and slammed for the book. And I, I, I hear this over and over from my clients. And I have a conversation, if not weekly, then monthly, where I'm saying you have to stop thinking about the critics because there are none. They are imaginary. They are illusory. What's going to happen is that no one has the time to criticize your book. And because you're so focused on that, you're not focused on the people the book is going to help. And the reality is that each of us speaks in a particular language, a particular way that will not speak to every human being on earth, but it will make a huge difference to the people in our niche. It's like the Zig Ziglar story about the grandson and grandfather who are walking by the beach and the grandfather, as the tide's going out and the grandfather is tossing starfish back into the water. And the grandson says, why are you doing that? You can't save all the starfish. And he says, yeah, but for the ones I do save, it makes all the difference, as Zig would say. Mm. And um, mm. I got to have lunch with Zig Ziglar, which is one of the highlights of my life. But, awesome. you know, but the thing is that you, you, don't, you, you, you can't let yourself um, focus on the negatives. You have to focus on the starfish that you're going to save, the people in your niche who will benefit from the way you think and the way you teach uh, action and thought patterns. And you got to think about them and you're depriving them of the, of the possibility of getting better or getting great because your ideas are stuck on my hard drive or somebody else's. So we just have to get over the fear. We have to get over the distraction, the, 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 the ADD of it all. And instead we just have to look at that thing and pull it out and keep in mind that when you read somebody else's book, it has two things going for it that your book doesn't have. And if I'm talking too much, just tell me, shut up and let me ask the next question. But when you read the next book, when you read somebody else's book, you have what I call a double shock of the new, a double shock of the new. It's their idea. It's somebody else's ideas expressed in somebody else's voice. So you're kind of shocked mm-hmm. twice. Like, wow, these ideas are new. I never thought of this before. And wow, this is somebody else's voice. This is not how I would express things. When you read your own book, it's automatically boring. Because it's the same ideas that have been kicking around your head for decades, and it's expressed if the ghostwriter did a good job in your voice. What could be duller? So you're expecting the double shock of the new from your manuscript that you get from any other book, and then you mark your manuscript down. You say, this is no good. I'm not, I'm not excited by it. Well, you got to get over that. You got to get over that. And you've got to, it's very hard to look at the manuscript the way uh, a, a total stranger will look at it. They'll be like, They'll be jumping for joy because you understand their pain. You've proven that you can solve the problem or take away that pain uh, for others. And now you're going to show them how you could do it for them or they can do it themselves. Wow. That's awesome. And it's really hard to look at it from somebody else's point of view. 
Uh, and then, so you know what a lot of people do? They're like, well, I'm going to send the book to 20 friends and get their opinions. Oh my God. That's one, that's a, that's the fast track to the million dollar hard drive. You know, yeah. just, just maybe send it to one smart client who actually reads books as opposed to 20 mm -hmm. people who don't, you know, it's yeah. more important to have a book than to read a book today. So not everybody reads books. People's attention spans are shot because of social media yeah. and technology. So don't give in. Don't let your book go to the bottom of the Bermuda Triangle of books or somebody's million-dollar hard drive. Instead, mm -hmm. get over yourself and get it out the door. I'm not speaking directly to you. Yes, yes you are. Yes, you are. You it's fine. You admit it. Don't you lie, Michael. No, you're, you're, you're preaching. You're preaching right here today. Yeah. We're having church over here at Business Growth Hacks. That's right. That's right. Because you're, you're right. I mean, hit the, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, there's two things for me like that I feel like I really resonate with. That imposter syndrome where you yeah. feel like, you know, to some extent, it's like I feel like I'm regurgitating what I've learned over the last decade from the people that I, you know, look up to and appreciate in the books that I've read and the people I've learned from. But like you said, it's in my own voice. But then I'm constantly reminded by people around me there. It's like, it doesn't matter if that's been spoken to before, because the people in my tribe, the people that are going to come across my book, they might not have ever been introduced to that thought. Right, they yeah. may have never read the book. The reason I know about it, all of it, it's the same reason people are always like, Andrew, you know about all these apps. How do you know about all these apps and these websites that do different things? It's like, what's well, my job? It's my job to know what exists. <laughs> and I just assume that everybody Everyone, knows. Yeah. But the reality is they don't. So, I mean, I feel, I feel like that really resonates. And then the other one is you're absolutely right. And I've never heard it say, said better that I have an expectation when I read it that I should be equally impressed with what I'm reading as I would feel if I was reading a stranger's book. But mm -hmm. I don't feel that way because I do feel like I'm reading what's in my brain. And it's like, well, that's already been there. Like, I already <laughs> know that stuff. Like, I'm not learning anything new. So it's hard to read it through like kind of through that lens because it's like, well, that didn't teach me anything. And it's like, but it doesn't matter what it teaches you. Did it teach that person that the book was intended for? Um, but that's, it is a hard, I mean, do you have any advice around that piece? Like, what do you do to get through that part of the journey or the, the process? Just remember that, you know, I mean, you guys are musicians, so you know, this is true in music that people are not looking for a hundred percent originality. You know, a successful song is one that's constructed along the lines of other successful songs. It's just got, it's the same, but different. That's the expression they use yeah. in all of the art. So that as soon as it, it just like burns a, a hole in your ear, you say, I love that song. Why? Cause it's not rad. It's not 12 tone. You know, it's not Schoenberg. It's not something that, that, that you just can't relate to. So, so you have to get over the idea that everything that you write in a book has to be original. What I'm saying is you want to combine your original insights with the specific guidance that you've chosen out of, you've read tons and tons of books, you've visited tons of websites, you're an authority in your field. You know what's important. You know what's salient, to use the proper term. And as a result, you're doing for the reader an enormous service by pulling all the nuggets out of everywhere they exist and putting them in order in a 100 to 150 page book. And they're like, wow, thank you for organizing all the material so that I don't have to read those 87,000 books and become a thought expert, a thought leader in this field. I just need to know what I need to know. And you did that for me. So that's what you're rewarded for as an author. Your own original insights are important, but it's also incredibly important to just pull out from everywhere what's, what's useful for your reader, your potential client, and stick that in your book. And they're going to thank you, not because the thing was entirely original, 
but because you saved them the trouble of having to go through everything. You've aggregated what's important for their benefit. They're going to love you for it. So, Oh, man, that's that's it. That's what I needed to hear this podcast. This, this podcast episode was for me, okay? Yep. Because I needed to hear this. <laughs> I okay. needed to be. I needed to be reminded. So, so back to my original question. Once I get out of this Bermuda Triangle, yes. once I finally, once I finally, yes. finally do the things I'm supposed to do, what do I do with the dang thing? What? How do I? Yes. How do I get the book out there? Because the reality is, I'm not trying to be a New York Times bestseller. That's not my intent here, right? My intention is to to make an impact on the people that I, that I come across the relationships I make to try to approach one to many versus a one to one approach where I can really make an impact. So let's right. talk about how we get that out there. Sure. Let's talk. Yeah. We're going to talk about uh, uh, marketing. The, the, the simplest thing to do and the least expensive thing. And the thing that everybody overlooks is to make a list of a hundred prospects for your business and put a hundred copies into a hundred envelopes with a hundred cover letters saying, dear Mr. Or Ms. Prospect, I'm, uh, I'd, I'd love to work with you. My book, I hope, answers some of the questions or problems that you have. It's enclosed. I, I've sent, I'm sending you a signed copy, and I'll call you in uh, 10 days. Let me ask you something. How many times do you get a book personally addressed from the author? How about never? So, you know, this costs you um, postage, envelopes, and copies of your book, and a little bit of time. Or you could have an intern doing it. So that's the simplest thing. Now, the most expensive, complicated thing is to engage a really expensive book marketer and hope for the best. Now, the problem with book marketing is that most of the people in the industry are useless. I'll be just really frank. They're useless. They'll come and collect your money, uh, but they're not going to do anything meaningful for you. And why? It's because typically there's a misalignment of goals between book marketers and authors. The author wants the cash register to ring. The author wants the phone to ring. Okay. That's what the author wants. What does the marketing person do? The marketing person denominates success in terms of what are called impressions, which means that let's say um, I used to subscribe to Texas Monthly. I don't know if that's still uh, out there, but I, I used to love it. I read yep. it. I read, I, I read it every month. I read it cover to cover every month back in the day. Now, if, if uh, your publicist can get an article about you in Texas Monthly, they're going to say that's 460,000 impressions. What's an impression? It just means that's the total circulation, the total number of people who could possibly read your article. Well, you know, how many people are actually going to read it? 30,000 out of 460,000? But they're sitting there saying, look, we got you 5 million impressions. And you're like, yeah, but the phone didn't ring. So from their perspective, it was a successful campaign because their goals, which are misaligned with yours, are all about counting impressions, whereas yours are about counting dollars. So the first thing you're going to do if you hire a book marketer is sit down and say the most important question. And I learned this from a client that, uh, that, that you can ask anybody you're hiring, have you solved this problem that I have for other people? And if so, how? And then let them tell you about the successes they had making the phone ring for an independently published business author when they marketed and, uh, and, and got attention for that book. And if they sit there and go, you know, the old Jackie Gleason, hamana, 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 move on. Don't spend the money. Don't be dazzled by the fact that they have a beautiful website and, uh, and, and, and uh, they, they give great phone. Who cares? So, so instead, there are, there are a handful of people who are good. And if folks want to call me I'll, or email me, uh, I'll, uh, Michael Levin writes at Gmail. 
uh, 617-543-3747. I'll tell you who's good because there's so few. I'll tell you who I think. I, I'll tell you who I think are good. And there aren't that many. So I'm, I'm much bigger on self-help in terms of putting books in envelopes than writing large checks to book marketers because that may be money you never see again. Mm. Mm. That's, a, that's, a great, that's a great point. I actually... I have been on the receiving end of a book in the mail recently, actually, uh, someone who wanted to be on one of the podcasts that I produce and it did stand out like, and, and I'll be honest, like his strategy overall was really good because it was the first uh, package I got came with a book and some stickers and a, a nice cover letter. And then I think a week later I got like a, like a handwritten card in the mail. And then I think a couple <laughs> weeks later I got another one. And so mm -hmm. it was very like, he had a really great automation there in place for, that entire process and experience, but I've not booked the guy yet, but I'm still thinking about it. Like, and I need to, honestly, I probably just need to pass the guy's name along to the team that like schedules everything. Like, cause what a cool outreach yeah. and you're, you're, you're absolutely right. That's exactly what I should do. When the book is ready, I should pick a hundred people, you know, mm -hmm. that I want to send it to and just do that, send them out because I have no problem doing it. Like, that's fun. Like that's one of the things we kind of talked about internally was again, I don't care that I sell a thousand copies. I want to make an impact on the people that we become across. I also want to help from a credibility perspective. When one of my sales guy keeps the, a box of books in his truck and he's in a meeting and someone's talking to him about X, Y, Z thing. And he's like, Hey, actually our CEO wrote a book. Here's a copy for free. Like all of a sudden they look mm -hmm. at you in a different light. They're like, what, wait, your CEO wrote a book. Like what? Like yeah. that just sounds important. You know, mm -hmm. like it's maybe a little bit of its vanity metrics, but not completely, especially if they're if they take something out of the book and away from the book. Yeah, yeah. There's, there, there, you know, a lot of people don't want to do books because they think it's an act of vanity or they think it's ego and and uh, you know and they're good people and they're humble and modest. I don't see a book as ego or vanity. Or let me tell you, let me put it this way: uh, people, you know, if, if somebody came to me and said I want to do a book and they're all about the, their own ego and vanity, I wouldn't be interested in working with them. And I would, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even, you know, I wouldn't even give them a proposal. I just find a nice way to terminate the. The sales call. And I'm, I'm, I'm happy to say I don't even track those people. You know, I, yeah, I just, yeah. you know, I mean, because almost everything I do is either from referrals or from folks who, who, you know, see me on, 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 on a podcast with somebody they you know, trust as a host. So everything's a warm call. And, you know, I, mm. so, so, so that's one part of it. I also want to say that, you know, we've talked a couple of times about bestseller status. I want to talk about that for just, just a second. Uh, you can become a best-selling author in a few different ways. You can sell a lot of books, which is a hard way, or you can drop the price on Amazon for 24 to 48 hours and tell all your friends to buy the book. And if you do, you'll give them an extra copy or you'll donate a copy to a shelter or something. So it's you know not something for nothing, but you're giving them something. And you can do that. I've got a guy who can uh, put your book in the top of Amazon for $12,000. And I've got two guys who can put your book on the Wall Street Journal and USA Today lists for $65,000. And then I've got another guy, uh, but I wouldn't recommend this, and, I'm, and I don't refer him out, who claims that he can get you on the New York Times bestseller list, but not business books because they don't do business books, for $300,000. But he doesn't guarantee it, which is why I won't touch him. But the thing is that bestseller status is important and it's worth having, it, especially if you can get it for free by going to your list. Crack the top hundred of any Amazon sublist. You're for an hour. You're bestseller forever, and then you can write international bestseller, Amazon bestseller, national bestseller on the cover of your book. But one of those nice silver stickers on the cover. Um, but you know, and that's all well and good, and it's worth having. It's a good credential. But what, what the term I like is best earning author, 
And a best earning author is someone who actually makes real money from his or her book. And it's typically not from book sales. Although if you speak somewhere in front of a thousand people and you can sell the book for $25 and you printed it for three, so you're going to put a lot of money in your pocket. But the real money from a book comes from new clients, new engagements, uh, new uh, uh, speaking, paid speaking gigs, things like that. So that's the real metric for success. And I always tell my clients, I want you to be a best-selling author. Sure, I really want you to be a best-earning author, however you define what it is you're trying to earn. If it's money, if it's credibility for your ideas, whatever it is, be a best-earning author and not just a best-selling author. Yeah. You've been dropping the nuggets today, my friend. You have been <laughs> dropping. This is, this is gold status record. Yep. Thank All right, you. we got to have you leave us. We, we have to have you leave us with a business growth hack. So I'm going to drop the sound effect. that will give you a few seconds to think about what it's going to be. But if you could leave the listeners with one thing, one thing they could do today on their journey to help them grow or scale their business, I'm going to let you do it after this sound effect. Hacks! All right, Michael, what kind of hack do you got for us? Double your fees. Oh, I like whatever it. you're, whatever you're charging, you're undercharging because most of us don't value ourselves properly and it takes hmm. guts to raise your fees. Dan Sullivan, a strategic coach says it best. He says, uh, 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 take your fee, uh, raise it to the point where you're so uncomfortable with the idea of it. You could barely get the words out if you were saying it to a prospect <laughs> and then raise that by 20%. And that's yeah. your new fee. <laughs> So what I'm saying is get what you're worth. And yeah. even if you, you know, if you, if, if let's say there were, you would have gotten all three clients at your current rate and you only get one at the new rate. Well, you're going to net a lot more on one than you would have when you had to serve three people. So, you know, make the money. And the, and the more you say, this is my rate and it's that higher rate, the easier it's going to get for you to do that. So that's my, that's my, that's, good. Uh, that's my suggestion. Here I am thinking you're going to talk about books and no, he went straight to the meat and potatoes, you guys. That's he left right. you guys with something that that is some of the best advice I've ever received from mm -hmm. some people in my in my circle. I, I think I've shared this story on the podcast before, but I had somebody a long time ago who I quoted fifteen. I'll, I'll be very transparent about the numbers. I quoted fifteen hundred dollars to do a branding job. They declined the offer, and I lost the gig. And I asked them later because I had a relationship with them. Why did you guys choose not to work with me? And they said because you were a tenth a tenth of the price of everyone else we talked to. And because of that, we thought that that wasn't your area of expertise. And they challenged me in that moment. They said, next time you get a branding proposal, just charge 10,000 instead. And so that year I sold four $10,000 branding jobs. So the lesson here is now we charge $20,000 for branding jobs. So sign up beefymarketing.com. <laughs> Line up Michael, before you raise it to 44,000. <laughs> That's right. You better, you better get over here. Uh, yeah, Michael, thanks so much, man, for, sure. for sharing thanks. all of this, because I, it's, I'm excited about getting out of that Bermuda Triangle. That's for dang sure. Well, I want to, I want to, it's my pleasure. I just want to take one moment and can I let people know how to find me and what, and yeah, what, that was, what yeah, please, please tell people how they can support sure. you, find you all that good well, stuff. Yeah. I mean, the, I'm here to support them, but the, the, my website is Michael Levin writes, W R I T E S.com. That's where you can read about the ghostwriting. And I have an online course called best earning author. And, and the best earning author system, you go to bestearningauthor.com and I'm going to teach you everything that you could possibly need to know about organizing, 
writing or having written for you, uh, uh, publishing, uh, distributing, marketing, and most of all, monetizing your book. And it's absolutely everything that I know. It's six hours and 20 minutes of me talking, if you can stand that. But if you can, you're going to come away and you're not going to need to hire me or anybody else and spend a lot of money. You're going to know how to do it yourself every step of the way. So if you liked today, then you'll, you'll, it's, 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 it's everything you need. And um, uh, because you're coming to the website because of this show, you're going to get $2,000 off the course. So, uh, yeah. So take a look at bestearningauthor.com. And, uh, and if you, you, can watch, you can watch the first half hour for free. Just You don't have to put a credit card in. You just push the buttons and watch it. And if you like it, then keep going. So it's sitting there waiting for you. And I'm going to give you my cell one more time. It's 617-543-3747. So if there's anything that I said that you'd like to discuss further, or if you've got a thought about your own book, or uh, you want to know who a good marketing person is or anything, if I can be useful, give me a call. We'll go from there. No operators are not standing by. It's my phone. (laughs) (laughs) All right, man, Michael, I, I'm, I'm, just blown away with by everything that you shared today. Like seriously, like I have like notes over here of things that I need mm-hmm. to do for my own book. Uh, I feel more encouraged in my, you know, just journey to launch the book in general. And I feel like I know what I need to do next. So uh, thanks for, thanks for being here, man. And we're going to definitely plug all of this in the show notes down below. You guys can find all of that information that he just shared, including his phone number, give the guy a call, uh, his website. Y'all can check out the course. Uh, if you're looking to write a book, you know, the guy he's right here. He was on the podcast. He's ready to help you out. He's standing by. All right, guys. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode. And we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Business Growth Hacks podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. To get more marketing tips and tricks, follow Beefy Marketing on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Beefy Marketing. And to take your business to the next level, check out our website at www.beefymarketing.com. Wonderful.